How many of y'all know, to be honest, there really wasn't any glory in it in the first place? You know what I'm saying? Um, because when you look at his glory and you look at your glory, um, you, you, you recognize that there's no comparison between the two. It's just like when you experience something substandardly. Let me, let me see if I can make it plain. See, I'm a steak man. Now, if I go to Applebee's and they got steak on the menu, I probably am not going to order it. But if I eat it, I say, you know, if it's my first time having a steak, I eat a steak. I say, wow, this is decent. This is a good steak. Wow, I'm blowing my mind. They got herbs and spices and sauces on it and carrying on. But then I go to a steakhouse. And all they did was put a little garlic, a little salt, a little pepper on it. Ain't need all that other stuff. Because when you have a good steak, you don't need a lot to add to it. And, and you cook it just right. And then when you eat it, like, you forget about the steak you had before because there was so much in the way of you enjoying the flavor and taste of it that you recognize that you never really had a steak until you had this one. When you've tasted and seen that the Lord is good, you recognize that every other type of glory that has ever existed is false, is fake. It has a bunch of clutter on it, but the glory of Christ is the most phenomenal glory that ever existed. Somebody ought to say amen. Amen, 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 amen. Uh, good morning, a good afternoon. I always do that. Good afternoon. How y'all doing this morning? Afternoon. Y'all all right? Amen. 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 Just a few items before I, I kind of dig in. Um, I want to pick up my brother Josh. He just started the Love Action Clothing Line. Yeah. Well, yeah, stand up, Josh. Stand up. He just started the Love Action Clothing Line. Um, the name of it is Lo it's at loveactionclothing.com. Go check them out, like them on Facebook, um, and uh, follow them on Twitter, um, doing things for the Lord and starting a business. I love it when young men start businesses. Amen. And, and, it's, and, and to do it to the glory of Christ is even better. And so we want to honor God and thank God for, for that opportunity uh, that God has given us. Also, I, for, for, for those of you who are parents, the children's check-in has began. I want to thank Pastor Kurt and the, uh, and the children's team for setting that up. I'm real excited about the children's check-in uh, deal. Also, we want to keep Sister Stephanie lifted up in prayer. She's doing well. She's been through a whole bunch. She's been in and out of the hospital for the last month. Um, so we want to keep her lifted up in prayer. Last but not least, um, um, don't forget about this VBS that's happening this summer. Um, that's a big deal for us. We're going to run it for two weeks in the middle of July. We'll have some more information on it, but we also need your resources. My wife and I have committed resources to it. The church has already committed 3000 to it. My wife and I are committing 2000 to it. We need five more thousand to make it work. Y'all know we never do that, but we really want you to designate funding to make sure that kids have a solid meal every day. Um, we may be introducing kids to vegetables for the first time. Um, which, which, which many, we're finding that many children in our neighborhoods have never had collard greens, cabbage, string beans, or broccoli. And so we want to have healthy lunches for them, full-fledged lunches. We know some kids on the block, this, they won't have, that will be their only meal of the day. And so we want to, during that period of time, love on them. And so if you can allocate whatever the Lord lays on your heart, like the Bible talks about, pray about it and say, I want to designate this to it uh, to be able to do that. Y'all know we never do that, but re remember, it's not for me, it's for the children. Amen, somebody? Amen. And, so, and so we want to make, and, but we're going to be giving them the gospel daily. Amen, Amen somebody? Amen. We're going to be in the book, um, 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 and it's going to be a great, great 
great opportunity. So college students, if you, if you, if you hang in this summer and if you guys that want to connect uh, with this opportunity, any of our teachers that are off for the summer, we would ask that you would, you would, you would make this a, part, a big part of your time this summer to make a long-lasting impact on the children and youth from our community. Our hope is to have some of the youth from our neighborhood be volunteers during the program as well so they can be in contact with solid, rich Christians who have rich Christian lives to be able to disciple them, pour into them, and those who are not Christians, lead them to Christ, and, and as well, them to get some work experience, amen. Amen, so, so, so that's what we wanna do, and we wanna see the Lord do some, um, some amazing things through the lives of his people. I'm, I'm really excited about the works of the Lord. Are you excited today about the works of, of the Lord? Well, um, let's, let's stand. Let's stand for the reading of the scriptures. Nehemiah 9. We're going to be in the whole chapter today. In the whole chapter, but I'm only going to read about nine verses. Somebody said amen silently. Um, I'm only going to read nine of the verses. When you get there, say amen. amen. A to the man. Verse 1 of chapter 9. It says, Now, on the 24th day of this month, the people of Israel were assembled with fasting in sackcloth, in, uh, in sackcloth and with earth on their heads. And the Israelites separated themselves from, our, from all foreigners and stood and confessed their sins and iniquities of their fathers. And they stood in their place, read from the book of the law of the Lord their God for a quarter of the day, for another quarter of the day, made confession and worshiped the Lord their God. On the stairs of the Levites stood Joshua, Benai, uh, Kadmiel, uh, Shabaniah, uh, Bani, uh, Sherebiah, Bani, and Shanani. And they cried with a loud voice, to the Lord their God. Then the Levites, Joshua, uh, Kadmiel, Benai, Hasha, Benaiah, and Sherebiah, Hadiah, Shabaniah, and Pethahiah said, Stand up and bless the Lord your God from everlasting to everlasting. Bless be your glorious name, which is exalted above all blessing and praise. Verse 6, you are the Lord alone. You have made heaven, the heavens of heavens, with all their hosts, the earth and all that is in it or on it, the seas and all that is in them. You preserved all of them. The host of heaven worships you. You alone, you are the Lord, the God who chose Abraham and brought him out of Ur of the Chaldeans and gave him the name Abraham. You found his heart faithful before you and made with him a, the covenant to give to his offspring the land of the, of, the, of the Canaanite, the Hittite, the Ammonite, the Perizzite, the Jebusite, and the Gergesite. And you have kept your promise, for you are righteous. Verse 12, by a pillar of cloud you led them in the day, and by the pillar of fire you led them by night, by, uh, by night into the light for them the way in which they should go. You came down on Mount Sinai and spoke with them from heaven and gave them 
right rules and true laws, good statutes and commandments, and you made known to them your holy Shabbat and commanded them commandments and statutes and a law by Moses, your servant. You gave them bread from heaven for their hunger and brought water for them out of the rock for their thirst. And you told them to go in to possess the land you had sworn to give them. Um, that's, that's all that we're going to read of this. And I, I like to talk about during our time here, rebuilt through who God is. Rebuilt through who God is. Father, we honor you. Thank you for the opportunity to shed our hearts and grab towards what it means to zoom lens onto you. Lord, may the words of my mouth and meditations of my heart be acceptable in your sight, living God. Oh God, our strength, our redeemer in whom we trust in Jesus' mighty name. Everybody agree with that said? Amen. Everybody agree with that said? Amen. You may be seated. Of course, you know we've been going line by line, precept upon precept through the book of Nehemiah. Um, and we've been talking about rebuilt to build and, and, and how the people of God have always been a city within a city, wherever God has sent them. But specifically here, them representing the name of God in the book of Nehemiah. And we're in the second temple period, which is post, uh, which is post their, uh, their discipline where they were under God's belt for uh, 77 years. And it's taken them 141 years to get to this specific point that we're in in this passage. And so a few weeks ago, we began talking about how they rediscovered the word of God. And after they rediscovered the word of God, they celebrated, but they began to read it. And they began, as they began to read the word of God, they began to see when they read it the second time, so many things that they didn't keep. And they began to mourn. But because it was the Feast of Booths, a.k.a. Tabernacles, um, God, uh, through um, the leadership of Israel at that particular time told them that this isn't a time of meditating on your sin because this is a eight-day Shabbat or Sabbath to the Lord. So what we want you to do is we want you to hold off on that for right now. But right after that particular period of time of celebration was over, um, they, they, they realized that they had not kept the seven feasts. You, you're still tracking with me? And, and in light of that, they, they, they kind of backtracked to the day called Yom Kippur. Say Yom Kippur. Yom Kippur is, means it's simply the day of atonement or to be at one with God all over again. And so what they began to do on Yom Kippur, Yom Kippur was that once in a, a time during the year where the sins of the nation were specifically dealt with through a sacrificial lamb. And this sacrificial lamb uh, was taken by the priest into the holies, taken uh, by the high priest into the holies of holy. And, and when he would go into the holies of holy with his holy garb on, they would tie a string around his ankle. And when he tied the string around his ankle, they tied it around his ankle because nobody was going to go in if someone done right and he died because whoever went in there would die too. So they dragged money out because they weren't going in. And so as, as he went in there, he would sprinkle the blood on the mercy seat between the seraphim that, over, of, that were on top of the Ark of the Covenant. And then that was to, 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 to basically for the people of God to reestablish and reconfirm their relationship with God. And so they, they, they didn't practically and functionally do Yom Kippur, but they did the principles of Yom Kippur. And so in this passage, I got, I got really, 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 really two points that, that I want us to zoom in on. But it's very, very important to understand that this chapter is basically an oversight of the redemptive record of God in the lives of his people up to that point. You still tracking with me? 
When we talk about redemption, it's in the midst of man's sin, in the midst of man's funkiness, in the midst of man's raggediness, in the midst of man's triflingness. God has always been intervening in the midst of that so that things not only wouldn't be as bad as they would, but also to pay for people. That means that he begins to deal with their sin, not just smash them because of their sin, even though he deserves to do that because he's God. And so we come here in this passage. And we're recognizing and beginning to see some beautiful things about who God is. But before you can appreciate who God is, you got to know who you're not. Let me, let me say that again. Y'all didn't get that. Before you can really appreciate, appraise who God is in your life, you got to know where you are and who you're not. Which brings me to my first point. If you're going to be rebuilt through who God is, first thing is God's faithfulness exposes our unfaithfulness. God's faithfulness exposes our unfaithfulness. I'm going to teach a little bit today, and some of you all who are new Christians, I want you to grasp some of the theological concepts that I'm going to be in. So I'm not going to holler as much today. Maybe I will, according to what the ghosts do, but I'm trying to, trying to, get you, trying to teach you today. So, so, you know, I need you to get on your, 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 your study caps on. Amen. Like the teacher used to say back in the day. So, so, so we come here and we begin to see this record. And so post-Feast of Bulls, we come here in verse 1. It says, now the, 20th, <coughs> now the 24th day of this month, the people of Israel were assembled with fasting and in sackcloth and with earth on their heads. And the Israelites separated themselves from all foreigners and stood and confessed their sins and the iniquities of their fathers. I like this. Because now what you begin to see is you begin to see the people of God owning their sin. Owning their sin. And one of the things that you see, you see several things that give you a pictorial of the fact they were owning their sin is because they had a posture of humility. That posture of humility showed itself up in the sackcloth, which is really like burlap. <coughs> that potatoes come in. If you buy potatoes in bulk, it comes in burlap. They put on burlap. And I don't know if you ever had burlap on, but burlap, when, when I was pledging in college and we was doing all that stuff, we had to put on burlap. We was itching like a mug. You know what I'm saying? It itches, you're sweating, and it feels like you literally have the chicken pops everywhere. Uh, um, um, uh, and so, uh, so, 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 so in other words, <coughs> they're in their sinfulness, they put on the burlap to put themselves in a place where they're not comfortable in their sin. In other words, they want to clothe themselves with discomfort. Because, see, 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 many of us in our lives, we become comfortable in our sin. And so what God wants us to do is he wants us to clothe ourselves in discomfort. Because, because you never want to be in a state where you are uncomfortable and, I mean, where you're comfortable in your sin. Because if you're comfortable in your sin, then you're desensitized to the one who created you. So he said they put on sackcloth and ashes. Now, what they begin to do is that instead of using ashes, rather, in this passage, it says they use dirt. And I know we scared of ringworms and all of that, right? But they would pick up dirt and they would sprinkle it all over themselves to symbolize their discomfort in their mess. The dirt would represent how dirty that they saw themselves are. And they would put it on their head to anoint themselves in the dust of their mess. To say, listen, I'm a mess and I'm dirty, but even in the midst of this dirt being on my head, I wish I had some help. I'm uncomfortable because I'm letting God know that I recognize that sin exists in my life. See, before you can know who God is, you got to be able to acknowledge you got sin in your life. 
See, I know there's some preachers out there that all they do is tell you God loves you and has a plan for your life and try to walk you through what it means to have a comfortable Christianity. But a call to Christianity is a call to discomfort. <laughs> and, 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 so, and so in light of that reality, that's why if, if, you, if you are in a spiritual life or in a church or a ministry that never talks about sin, you're living delusionally. So somebody said, I came here to shout today. I came here, amen, to get my shout on, and I wanted to run. Well, every now and then, your behind need to feel bad about your sin. Why? Because, because, because you can't enjoy the Lord until you deal with the mess. But, 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 what he, but, but the, he goes from talking about humility in the text. The, it says, and with earth on their heads, and then it says, and the Israelites separated themselves from the foreigners. I like this because when they separated themselves from the foreigners, they weren't trying to show them how good they were. See, see, some people read this passage and say, oh, man, they separated That's, They're doing it because they're saying, these are not your sins to be dealt with. These are my sins. So even though you're not in the covenant community, we're, we're going to pull ourselves away from you because we need to deal with our mess. Sometimes you need to push back from some people in order that you can deal with your mess so you can't blame nobody else. Uh, see, some of us are blamers instead of proclaimers. And so what God wants you to do is he wants you to recognize where you are and where you're not. But th this is beautiful. They separate themselves. But then it says, now this is bananas to me. It says, and stood and confessed. Somebody say confessed. Confess. confess. Let's, let's spend some time on confession. Can we spend some time on it? <laughs> because I think confession is so doggone important. <coughs> confession in the Old Testament, in its state, really, really, especially in the Hebrew, it means to throw something to cast off something. Uh, 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 literally, it means to throw your sins at God. Now, not throw them at him, but it's literally in the sense of throwing them at him as if he did something to put you in that position, but it's to throw them towards him to get him away from yourself. That, that, that's, that's the sense of it. But see, it, it, but, but, but confession also means, listen to this. It said the sense of the word means to, to, to declare a fact. The sense is to Tell is not merely in portion, but in the whole. It means to give admission and to admit your wrong, not anybody else's. Let me say that one more time. It's to admit your wrong and not anybody else's. See, many of us, this is how we apologize. I'm sorry you felt bad about that. I don't know. When somebody do me like that, I don't even know how to feel. You know what I'm saying? Like, was that an apology? Like, what was that? I'm like, I, I didn't mean it that way, but I'm sorry that you. Some of us apologize like this. I, I, I know I was wrong, but if so-and-so didn't or the end. Listen, when you confess sin, the sense of the word is to hold nothing, no one, and no place responsible except for yourself. And confession doesn't mean telling part of it. It, it means telling all of it. That means it, spilling your guts is the Hebrew sense. It, it, in other words, telling, that, that means you don't blame anybody else for how raggedy you are. See, many of us don't confess our sins because we don't want to face ourselves. See, this, I'm blessed and highly favored and all of that is good. But that's not the time to talk about being favored. 
You need to focus on the unfavorability of yourself at that point so that you can experience the favor that God gives. What do I find in the Bible? Proverbs chapter 28, verse 13. I know I ain't going to get no amens today. It's all good. Proverbs 28, 13 says, if someone confesses and forsakes their sin, they find favor. Where does the favor come from? It comes from repentance. It means admitting exactly what the sin was, not around what the sin was, but facing the reality of what that sin was and, and, and saying, God, I don't want to be delusional. It's not saying this. God, forgive me of my sin. That's not confession. Whatever I've done, God, I don't know what I've done, but in general, you know what I'm saying? That ain't, that, that's not confession of sin. <clears throat> confession of sin is pinpointing your inaccuracy. That's very, very important. It, it, you can't even get saved unless you confess your sin. You can't, you can't come into a relationship with God until you admit that you're a mess. And this is very, very important, and they've spent very much time. As a matter of fact, it says they spent a quarter of the day doing that. <clears throat> wow. So this wasn't no general stuff. <clears throat> but what they, what, they, what they also confess is they confess their sin, and they confess the sins of their fathers. But they didn't blame the sins of their fathers and their daddy issues on why they're in their sin. Let me say that again. Y'all didn't get that. They, 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 they confessed the sins of their fathers, but they didn't blame their fathers for their sin. See, see, I, I, I ain't even gonna ask you to raise your hand, but many of us got daddy issues, and your sin is your sin, not your daddy's. Only thing he did was pass the sin nature to you. Oh, it's quiet right now. And so therefore, you just say, Lord, I am asking your forgiveness for walking in the sin of my fathers, but I'm not blaming my father for the sins of me. That's very, very important in a, in a, in a fatherless generation. I don't care how bad your father was. I don't care if your father was there. I don't care if your daddy wasn't there. What you must do is you must acknowledge your sin. Your sin. Because that's no different than Adam. Um, it was the woman you gave me. You know what I'm saying? It was her. You know, she wild and ain't telling me what she getting fruit from. Just skipping through the garden on her own, God. You know what I'm saying? Here she come with some fruit. It looked good. You know, I ain't never seen it before. You know what I'm saying? I ain't never seen that fruit before. But the Bible says he, she gave to her husband who was with her. So that means he was standing there while Satan was talking to his wife. I'll talk about this in the masculinity series that's coming next. But, but, but he was standing there while his wife was getting it in with the devil. Ah, uh, she grabbed the fruit, looked at it, said, dang, here, husband, cacao, boom, they bit. <laughs> now, now, how you going to lie when God shows up like he doesn't know? Like, 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 why do we do that, though? We act like God doesn't know. The Proverbs uh, chapter 5, around the 17th verse, said God looks on all of the acts of man. That means he sees everything all time. He's omniscient. He sees all things at all times, both past, present, future, actual, and potential. That means he sees what you did do, but he sees what you could have done and didn't do, and the outcomes that would have dominoed into whatever outcome would have happened based on the different actions that you would have done, and he is mentally powerful enough not to go crazy about it. That's the God I serve.
And so, and, so, and so when we look at this idea of sin and confession, I want, I want us to become a people that admit stuff. Not beat around the bush, but be snuffed out. I tell God, I say, throw the tear gas into my soul. When, you throw, when, the, when, the, when the SWAT team throw the tear gas in, they know. They know it's over. And listen, if you're anywhere ever and you're wilding, when you see the thing go, pew, 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 and they go, and the gas come out, just say, I surrender. <laughs> because the tear gas is to snuff you out of your mess and to bring you out to expose yourself with your hands up and surrender yourself for arrest. And they want to arrest you, but I like the fact that when God throws the tear gas in after me, which I had some help, he wants me to come out surrendered, but the tear gas brings you to tears. Not artificial tears when God throws it in, but authentic tears because godly sorrow leads to repentance. Not hardly sorrow, godly sorrow. I got to move. I got to move. I've been on this too long, but, but we got to move. <laughs> now, 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 let's listen to what he says in verse 16. Now, we're still on the same point. It says, but they and our fathers acted presumptuously and stiffened their neck. Let's stop right there. Let's stop right there. Now, now acting presumptuously is an interesting word. The word means to treat another badly or to show no honor or respect for an object. The sense of it is having a sense of entitlement in the midst of your sin. In other words, while you're in your sin, you're so delusional about your sin and, and not able to see God that you are still wanting God to bless you even though you're in a bunch of mess. In other words, you, you, you don't want God to deal with the sin. You just, that's, that's, why, that's why people that promise blessing without confession and repentance are false teachers. Because here in this passage, when they acted presumptuously, they were like, shoot, I don't care what my life is. God owes me something. In other words, they, when you have a victimization philosophy of life, victimization means you don't admit your sin. You blame your sins on other people and think you're entitled to blessings because you think that everything in your wrong was the act of someone else and not yourself. What happens then is you walk presumptuously through life and being angry with God, thinking that your own actions are, and, 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 and everything that you've done shouldn't be dealt with and that God owes you something. When you walk around through life like God, God owes you something, you're in trouble. So he said they acted presumptuously in their sin. But then it says not only did they act presumptuously, but they stiffened their necks. That's rugged. Now it says that several times in the passage. They stiffened their necks. Now stiffen the neck is a, is a word usually used of an ox. And what an ox would do is an untrained ox that's like a bully. You know what I'm saying? Money is like, listen, I want to be out making some babies with some cows. You know what I'm saying? I'm really not trying to be up on here working all for you. So when they put the yoke on money's neck, if he ain't broken, guess what he gonna do? You gonna try to plow him, he gonna be like this. You gonna be like, come on, come on, come on, push. And he, he's not gonna, be, why? Because he's stiff necked. He doesn't want the person that owns them to move them anywhere. See, 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 stiff neck folk are like that. Let me see if I can make it plain. Let's bring it up to the day. Let's see, y'all, 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 okay. A pit bull, the ones that ain't real, that they do all the stuff to to make them fight. I don't know if you ever seen a pit bull like that, but it's interesting because the pit bull is stubborn, and, and he's so stubborn they don't have a regular leash on him. Not a leather one with leather suede like that, and you know the little link where you can just cook it up to his neck. Nah, you got to go to Home Depot or Lowe's 
and go and get you one of them chains about this big. Wow, why? Because the, the pit bull doesn't listen and he's stiff neck. So that's the dog when you see somebody getting pulled, the owner's getting pulled all over the place. And, 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 the, and, the, and the dog isn't doing it. Why? Because the dog wants to do what it wants to do, and the owner hasn't trained him yet. Well, what happens in our spiritual life is we try to treat God like that. We, we're trying to go where we want to go. But the thing about that, though, is no matter how stiff-necked you are, God is not like these human owners that let the dog take it where it wants to go. God is so powerful that when he jerks your big old rusty neck with the dirt on it, listen, ring around the collar self, listen, with sin, he going to grab you and yank your behind back. You can't stiffen your neck towards the living God. You won't win. All of us have been. I ain't talking on a high horse. I'm talking about as a stiff-necked dude myself. I need some help. Hard-headed. My mama used to call it, you rock-headed. <laughs> she said, you a hard, she said, a hard head makes a, y'all know what I'm talking about. <laughs> y'all know what I'm talking about. Y'all know what I'm talking about. And guess what Israel had? A soft behind. Right? stiff neck. But then he goes further, he goes further and says, we were not mindful of your wonders you performed. They became so entitled that the powerful miracles that God did in their life, they were unable to see because their sin had caked their eyes up. So, 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 so the wonders that God did is like, oh, that wasn't nothing. Do something else, God. That wasn't nothing. Do something else, God. That wasn't else. Do something else, God. That wasn't. In other words, they, 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 they think that more miracles and more blessing will transform their existence when all they got to do is confess with their mouth their sin and repent of it. But then he talks about, then he goes down and then he talks about, he said, nevertheless, they were disobedient and rebelled against you. That word disobedient and rebellion, I'm like, this is depressing. No, it's not. Keep track with me. It's the word that is Mara. That's interesting because this word in another form is what Ruth used to call herself bitter. My name is Mara or bitterness. And so, and so, and so it's connected in some type of way. But, 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 but this rebellion or this, this disobedience was rebellion. And, 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 and it's the point of a person defying God and challenging God to do what is abnormal to what he's called his people to do. Matter of fact, Samuel uses the same word to say disobedience or rebellion is the spirit of witchcraft. In, in other words, in, 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 in uh, 1 Samuel 15, 22, I believe it is, Saul, funny, funny than a mug, Saul doesn't do what God says. And he, this is funny because some of us use spirituality as a way to avoid obedience. Well, what he began to do is he, God told him to wait several days until Samuel came. And then he looked around, Samuel ain't come. And the people start hollering at but really wasn't the people. You know how we do. Blame game, right? So Pat Al, he says, I'm going to go ahead and sacrifice. Now, first off, he ain't a Levite. He's of another type of tribe, right? But then he goes and makes the sacrifice. Samuel, he's here, Samuel coming. You know when somebody guilty when they come, come to you. And he ran out to Samuel. Came out, how you doing, Samuel? What's up, fam? He's, and Samuel said, what you do? See, that's how, that's how mama did you, didn't she? When you come to, hi, mama, you home already? Oh, man, I love you. And then she said, what you do? Then you know you was wrong because she knew you was wrong because you never that nice to her. All right? And so Samuel said, what have you done? And then he told him, well, you took too long. 
And he said, he said but, but you sinned against the Lord. He said, no, but I made a sacrifice to the Lord. I mean, I honored the Lord. I gave him a sacrifice. That should take care of it. He says, no. He said, the Lord requires obedience, not sacrifice. And so he said, that's why it says obedience. That's the context of it. It's better than sacrifice. You don't use good works to appease God. You use obedience as a means to flow from the pleasure that he already gives through Christ to give you the ability to obey him and honor him. The sacrifice was you, not the sacrifice you tried to give. You can't tie your way out of it. You can't offer your way out of it. You can't be good your way out of it. You need God to help you with it. That's why obedience is better than your sacrifice. Whenever you bring to the table your stuff and what you've done to God as a way to appease God, not to do something. You're trying to use sacrifice of your own to overstep the obedience that God called you to. And so that, that, that's a beastly, beastly thing, but it didn't stay there because then it talks about the theological record, the biblical record of God's redemption, which brings us to our next point. We've seen us, but now let's look at God. Next point, God's faithfulness must be journaled. God's faithfulness must be journaled. Nehemiah, this is his memoirs or his journals. And so what, what the Holy Spirit did was he used his journal. The Holy Spirit superintended the writing of the word of God through ne in Nehemiah and this passage through his journal. And he, would, he began to journal. <clears throat> what I like the way he journaled, he journaled the record of God and what God had done in the life of his people and the life of the people right here, historically and presently. And, 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 so, and, so, and, so, and so it says, I like the way it says, and they confess their sin and worship. See, this, this, this is what I want us to be careful of. See, some of us that focus on total depravity too much. When you focus on the sinfulness of man too much, yeah. I remember one guy back in the day, he at the ministry said, you know, pastor, I'm, I'm, you know, I'm just focusing on my sin. Um, how sinful. <laughs> how sinful I am. I'm just realizing, um, you know, my, my sinfulness as I've been focusing on the monastic um, historical part of uh, the church history. I just remembered the monastic community and then I started looking at the Puritans and precious remedies against Satan's devices and I was just focusing on me and I was just focusing on how sinful I am and I was like, why? Because <laughs> I said, you know what that is? I said, you think that's humble, don't you? you? Know what you've told me more about in this whole time than anything else? You. If you're focusing on you, that means even though this looks like humility, it's pride. Because you're trying to show me how spiritual you are by knowing you're fallen. But I told him, I said, when you are in a relationship with God through Christ, you are no longer totally depraved. Let me say that again. For all you depravity jerks, you are no longer fallen. If that's true, Christ didn't die on the cross for your sins. Don't ever say we're totally depraved again if you're a Christian. You are not totally depraved anymore. You have the righteousness of Christ inside of you. So if you focus on you, you'll be depressed. You'll be depressed. Drinking yourself into oblivion, smoking yourself into oblivion, uh, banging yourself into oblivion. I know y'all don't like it, but let me tell you something. You better focus on who God is in the midst of your sin. I like the way in the passage, 
Every time they talked about their sin, they talked about the goodness of God. Every single time. Why? Because his holiness, his holiness drives us to his repentance. Listen, 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 listen. Perfect love casts out all fear. So they began focusing on him. And they said, and I like this. I, can I just talk fly about God for a little while? It says in verse, the end of verse 5, it says, Stand up, they commanded them, and bless the Lord your God. From everlasting to everlasting. I like that because Psalm 92 said from everlasting to everlasting, he's God. So they start focusing on the attributes of God. Uh, uh, can we walk through some attributes of God just real quick? It, right here it's talking about one of his attributes. It's called eternality. Say eternality. Eternality, eternality of God is usually understood as related to time. By definition, it means that God is not limited and bound by time. So why would they focus on God's eternality in the midst of their sin? Because their sin is in time, but God exists outside of it. And so that means that they need someone else to help them to not focus on where they are. Eternality of God. Listen, the attributes of God, that's why you need some attributes in your life. That's why sometimes it's not just about what he's done, but it's who he is. And see, when it talks about his eternality, it's talking about God is bigger. That means you begin to say, he's bigger than this, right? He's bigger than my sin. Dang, he's bigger than my sin? Really? Dang, he's really that huge? Because what happens is, is as you focus on his attributes, he doesn't become bigger physically, spiritually, physically, because he's non-promorphic. He's he's non-corporeal, so he doesn't have a body. But, but there is a sense in which we, ha- are, we have mental minutia. And when we focus on who he is, it expands the format of our mentality in our sin. <laughs> Did you hear that? that? That means God, you say, God, you're not bigger, but you're becoming bigger in my mind right now. I don't know why, but I'm getting strength from somewhere. I don't don't know what's happening to me right now, but I'm supposed to be depressed and feeling bad. But the more I focus on the eternality and massivity of who he is, I'm actually forgetting about who I am. And oh, I wish I had some help. I'm I'm going to keep moving. I'm going to keep moving. Say, which is exalted among all blessing and praise. In other words, they say, my praise isn't enough to prop him up. Matter of fact, he exalts himself. I just participate in his exaltation. Did y'all hear that? Listen, we don't, we really, phonetically, through physics, chemistry, whatever you want, biology, I don't know. But you're not, you're not lifting God up literally. Because he's already as lifted as he's ever going to be. All, all you're doing, all you're doing is in all that his, his he, God is present everywhere. So all you're doing is lifting up your mind higher in the presence of God on every level of where his presence is between where you are and where he is dwelling in unapproachable light. Oh, I wish I had a shouting church right now. Because listen, God is so powerful that the mere thought of him can change you. <laughs> the mere thought of him can, can rock you. I love it. So, 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 so he begins to say, you alone are God. Yeah. I like that because it points to a uh, few of his attributes. Can I just say some more? First, it points to his uniqueness. That means he's, he's just a different type of flyness. 
Here's a different type of fly. Ain't nobody got gear like that. It's a unique clothing line that he's been eternally wearing forever. And it's such an underground clothing line that nobody can't find the gear. He doesn't sell it. He gives it through Christ. Oh, I wish I had help. And so, so he's unique. So he's unique. So, so being unique in God alone means he's sovereign. That points you to his power. But, but, but then him being unique also points to his holiness, that there's no spot or wrinkle in him, and he's uniquely set aside by himself. Nobody needs to set him aside, even though he says set him aside in us, but he's uniquely a, a holy other. So, 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 you, so, so when you're in your sin, you get to focus on his power, but you also get to focus on his holiness. In other words, he's clean, but he's also powerful. Oh, that's good. That's good. That's good. Like, see, many of us like to talk about the sovereignty of God and predestination, but I want you to talk about how that sovereignty impacts your sin, how it's powerful enough to be dealt with. He's not just some sovereign dude to argue about with other Christians about where you theologically believe about soteriology and justification. It's more than that. It's about his power. That, 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 that he is God all by himself, like grandmama used to say, and he don't need nobody else. He and he alone is God. And know what that makes you do? It makes you smash some idols in your life. When you say you alone are God, then you say, why do I have this? Why you say, what, is, what, what, what in the world do I have in my house? Let me, let me smash this thrift store furniture and get the glory of God up in this place. Some of y'all are sitting with holes in your furniture spiritually because you've made idols out of so many things. But then you see how dumb we can be when you start looking at him and everything in your life that you valued above him starts to drop in its value like the Dow Jones Industrial Average. In other words, things in your life need, the, the, the stock market of your idols need to crash. And their value must decrease. And you must put all of your stock in the eternal company that always increase in value. Okay, I'm going to move. I'm going to move. I got to move. I got to move. But we also see that God faithfully proves his power. It says in verse 6, it says, you, are, you, you have made heaven, the heavens of heavens. I like that. With all their hosts, the earth and all that is on it, and the, sea, the, the seas and all that is in them, and you preserve all of them, and the host of heaven worships you. You alone, uh, you are God. Now, when it talks about, it's talking about his creative power, that he's the greatest artist that ever lived. When it talks about heavens of heavens, this is powerful. This is talking about where his dwelling presence can be safely unveiled. See, it's unsafe right now for God to unveil, unveil his omnipresence because it would kill us because we don't have our new bodies yet. And without your new body, it can't, this body can't withstand the glory of God. Can't. So he has to, he said, I got to stretch my legs out somewhere. So the Bible says he dwells in unapproachable light. And he said, now, even though it, it says he has a throne, but literally, even when it talks about Jesus sitting at the right hand of God, it doesn't really talk about God positionally sitting. When Stephen looked up in, 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 in Acts chapter 7, it says, look, I saw the heavens open. And he says, and I see the Son of God sitting at the right hand of power. That's what that is. 
Do you understand? See, 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 it, it, see God is so massive that God gave Stephen a sneak preview through the light that Jesus Christ and the Father sits in and the Holy Ghost sits in and let him see Jesus without his retinas getting burned out. I just want to lift God up. And so he's in the heavens of heavens. Now, why is this heavens of heavens? Well, you got our heavens that you can see outside, that's the clouds. You got the second heaven, which is the universe, but the third heaven is where he dwells, where he hangs out, where he's chilling, where he's enjoying himself and seeing everything of past, present, and future and living outside of it. But then the Bible says the earth is his footstool, so he props his heel up on top of earth. Really, spiritually, he doesn't have a body, but it's just a position to talk about how big he is so that you can know the earth is but a dot in the massivity of how big he is. I'm just bigging up God. He's big. And so, and so, and so, but then it says, but then it says, listen, listen, listen what it says though. It says, it, it says after that, it says the earth, it, it said, he said, and the heavens of heavens with, the, with their hosts. Look, look at that. Now the host of heaven, I like this, because this, this is masculine terminology. Don't, don't, don't get mad at me, ladies. This is good masculine terminology. Now, when, when we break up the host of heaven, they're made up of kind of several groups and groups that we don't know what they are. It's made up of outside of God and outside of the people of God. Uh, the host of heaven uh, is made up of angels, cherubim, seraphim, heavenly creatures, and then some other people we don't even know what they are, okay? And so what all of the, now, all, now he's made all of them, right? Now, none of them are punks, though, because the host means fighter. It means I'll kick you behind. That's what it means. And what it is is God is the God of armies. He's created an army in heaven. But then later it says, but they worship him. Now, why are the people of God focusing on this? Because they say if beings more powerful than us can see God, worship God, why can't we? So, 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 so the, the hosts of heaven are made up of all of these designations of people. And the Bible says that they worship him. But then it said, as it talks about that reality, then it begins to talk to him about a covenant keeper. I love that because now it goes to you are, you, you are the Lord who chose Abraham. He's talking about the Abrahamic covenant. Now, what I like about this is so fly is when God made this particular covenant with Abraham, we believe that there are three different types of covenants, but they're spoken to, this focusing in on the unconditional covenant that he made with Abraham. This covenant was so banging that God told him to set some stuff up. He said, set that up, set that up, split it in half, open it up just a little bit. Yeah, there you go. There you go. And so God put Abraham to sleep. Abraham goes to sleep, but he's in a half sleep, half awake kind of thing where you kind of awake, but you sleep. And so you're like, mm -mm, like that. You know what I'm talking about. Um, and what he sees is the pre-incarnate Christ walk through the middle of the sacrifice. And he walks through the middle of the sacrifice because when they cut a covenant, usually the two people who are supposed to keep the covenant, they would walk through the sacrifice. But God puts Abraham to sleep and say, I don't want you to walk through the sacrifice. I'm going to walk through the sacrifice. When he walks through the middle of the sacrifice, he's basically telling him, I'm not worried about you keeping my promises. I am going to swear by my life, by all that I am, that I'm going to be faithful to you. And guess what we are? Children of Abraham. And when he went through that sacrifice, he said, I'm going to be faithful to everyone that believes in me. And your faith, your sin won't overtake my faithfulness. <laughs> Your sin won't overtake my faithfulness. And so he says, this is how I'm going to be faithful to you. First off, I'm going to faithfully protect and guide you. It says in verse 11, and I'm going to get out your way. I know I've been too long. I'm going to be out the way. 
It says, and you divided the sea before them so that they went through the midst of the sea in the dry land and you cast their pursuers into the depths as a stone into a mighty waters. By a pillar of a cloud, you led them by day and by a pillar of fire, you led them by night, uh, by night to light them for them the way in which they should go. He became a protector because he, he wanted them to do this. And casting their pursuers into the depths, God was letting his people know that when you leave your past behind, on my terms, and trust me, I am able to cause the past that you have left not to catch up with you. But then he's a guide. And the pillar of the cloud and the pillar of fire acted as a form of guidance to let God's people know when they should be still and when they should move. I wish I had time. But I just want you all to recognize him as a protector and a guide. That, that, that God is so powerful in your life, he tells you when to stop and when to go. Why? Because when the cloud moved and when the fire moved, it meant move. But I like the fact that they didn't build, they just pitched tents. In other words, they saw their existence as temporary because they, weren't, they were basing their existence off of where they were, but who was with them. Amen. I got to move. I got to move. I got to move. I got to move. Next, God faithfully provides provision. He gave food and bread in the wilderness. He, he provides. He provided three things. I'll just say this real quick. He provided food. He provided spiritual life. And he provided clothing. He provided for his people. He provided for his people. Verse 15. He, he provided spiritual life for his people. Verse 20. Gave the Holy Spirit to instruct them. And then verse 21. He didn't let their clothing run out. That's banging to me. They had on the same pair of sneakers for 40 years. <laughs> I like that. I like that. Because God, it's just like if they had on some Air Force Ones or some Butter Thames, right? Now, imagine being in the wilderness. Now, you know, right, you outside, first off. You don't want to wear them joints, right? You usually wear your dirty shoes. But God kept their shoes from wearing out and being messed up looking. You know, when somebody step on your Tim's the first time, he's like, ah, God, God. Ah, hallelujah, hallelujah, hallelujah. Because you're like, dog it. And you're, you're like, ah. Because <laughs> you know that, that eraser not going to work on that scar. But God preserved their, their Tim's to not wear out and be a mess over 40 years like the first day they had them. His preservation power, I got to move. Finally, God's faithfulness provides propitiation. And I'm going to just end on this. Verse 17, it says, but you are a God ready to forgive, gracious and merciful, slow to anger, and abounding in steadfast love, and did not forsake them. This was terminology that the children of Israel would utilize when they asked who their God was. He said, oh, the Yahweh, the Lord, the Lord, the God who are ready to forgive, gracious and merciful, slow to anger. If I could just chop these last few things up. It says, it says, it says, it says ready to forgive. Ready. Ready to forgive. Forgive, of course, means the removal of sin. To not allow your wrongs to count towards your relationship with him ever again. That means he reconciles you to himself. He's, he's, it, it means he's ready to do that at every point in time. But then it says he's gracious, pertaining to how merciful he is. But then it talks about him being merciful 
showing favor, but this is the one that's crazy for me, slow to anger. Now, see, that rocks me. Now, let, 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 me, let, let, me, let me show you how to help, help, help you to think through this. Imagine if all your friends, all your family, all your church family sinned against you regularly, badly, at the same time. I know I would be pissed off to the highest level of pissivity. <laughs> and I don't even know if I can handle the level of anger that I have. But God, all of his people, we sin against him harshly regularly, and he knows the sin deeply, what type of heart we were in to actually activate the sin and walk in the sin, and he can deal with millions of his people sinning against him and it not impacting his anger level. In other words, he puts his anger in neutral. It says slow to anger. What does that mean? Propitiation. Because God has to satisfy his own wrath. God has to satisfy his own wrath, and guess who we satisfied it through? Through Jesus Christ. Romans chapter 3 says, Whom God put forward as a propitiation by his blood to receive by faith. 1 John 4, 10, it says, in this love, not that we love God, but that he loved us and sent his son to be the propitiation for our sins. What does propitiation mean? Propitiation means that the death of Christ fully satisfied all the righteous demands of God towards the sinner. The Bible says that God was pleased to crush him. When God is slow to anger, abundant in loving kindness, means chesed, he's loyal. He's loyal. It talks about his loyal love. Is when you in your sin and in your mess, they began thinking about how God is ready to forgive. He's gracious, merciful, slow to anger, abundant in loyal love. He's a loyal beast with his. And guess what he did? He satisfied his wrath through Jesus Christ. That means the sins that you're confessing, you don't have to pay for. The sins that you confess, that's why you don't come, that's why the Bible says, come boldly before the throne. It doesn't say, come sinlessly before the throne. The boldness is no matter what season you feel like you're in, whether you feel like you're in a season where you haven't sinned as much, as if sinning more is a worse place to be when all sin is sin. He said, in every single season of your life, come before me. Why? Because Christ, I put all of your sin on him. And when I crushed him, I crushed your sin. But even though you still sin and it's paid for, I want you to come before me to acknowledge your sin. Why? Because it's delusional to say you don't have sin. Well, everything's all right and you want a blessing. But God says, come before me because the type of relationship I have with you is a relationship where I can look at your mess and deal with it, and we can still be in relationship with one another. Why? Because I'm God. Why? Because I took care of it. Why? Because I'm holy. Why? Because my wrath was after you. Why? Because of my sin. But why is it no longer after me? Because Christ took all the full blow of the death of us for us to the glory of God without our help and place it all on Jesus Christ. And so when you 
Meditate on who God is. Don't you forget none of this. Don't you forget none of it. And God is so good and honorable. And I just want us to think about him. That's it. It's not about a preacher. It's not about it. It's about God. And I pray that our hearts would take this and internalize it. And we would allow God to meet us where we are. Father, we thank you for the goodness of the cross that you have removed our sin through Christ. But only those who have confessed their sin, repented, and turned to Jesus. That's the only ones. That's the only ones that have the wrath removed. That's the only ones. You, you, you have been so gracious. You, I like the way the Bible tells about you gave us time to repent. And Lord, I pray that we would be consistent repenters of our sin and that we would find our honor in you and you alone. Lord God, I pray today that if someone doesn't know you in the pardon of their sins, that they would trust you as Savior by grace alone, through faith alone, through Christ alone, him alone, him alone. And Lord God, as our men come, start passing out the elements, and I pray that we would meditate on Christ and his death and his burial and his resurrection and his goodness to be faithful through all of our life, Lord. In Jesus' mighty name we pray.